0: Welcome to episode 284, we're talking about asteroid dimorphos, DART impacted it, we get to see what the Legion Cube showed us, Italy's first deep space mission, we're talking Tesla bot, and we share another spacewalk and talk, thank you for joining us. Welcome everybody to Today in Space, I'm your space science podcast host from the east coast, Alex G, Orfanos, and this is episode 284 of Today in Space. We have a few things to touch on this episode. We're going to talk about the DART mission impact on asteroid Dimorphos, that dual asteroid system of uh, Didymos and Dimorphos, and they and how they impacted a satellite, and we got to see from many, many different angles and places around the solar system, including from Earth, uh, different aspects of the impact, and we're already learning so many things. We're go- so we're going to talk about one thing that is something new to planetary science that we learned just by observing. We thought it would do one thing, and it did something else. So we'll get into that. We'll talk about Italy's Leica CubeSat, which gave us great close-up images of the impact. And then I'm going to touch a little bit on the Tesla bot, because it was yesterday. This is September 30th. We're recording this on October 1st. Yesterday was Tesla's AI Day, and we saw the TeslaBot walk for the first time on stage and demonstrate. Uh, well, everyone, the the people on the team that demonstrated the science and the engineering that's gone behind TeslaBot, I uh, we put up a po- post on our story on Instagram at Today's in Space Pod, and you guys clearly uh, are 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 gung ho to hear about TeslaBot. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'll share my first initial thoughts, and then I want to gather your questions so we can do some research and really talk about uh, the potential of Tesla bot. Ba- and, and we can all learn a little bit of something here. Uh, and maybe we'll have to find a robotics engineer to talk to on the podcast <laughs> to get their perspective. Uh, it was good to hear um, Lex Friedman's take on that. But to close out, I also have uh, another space walk and talk segment where I'm putting myself on notice to uh, get out and work out and be physical and good to my body and uh, it also is a great excuse to make some content. And if I can trick my mind into doing things uh, for the reason of the podcast that's also healthy for myself, I mean, why not? Why not? We are uh, emotional apes after all, right? Why not do a little bit of programming on our own? If, if we get a placebo, use it. You're lucky, right? <laughs> so that segment is where we talk about um, just life and space and how it relates to human spaceflight and humans living in space and going to space. Uh, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about that at the end of the podcast. But now we are going to jump right into things right after we talk about a little bit of business. So obviously, if you want to help support the podcast, uh, the, the easiest thing you can do, the free thing that you can do is subscribe to the podcast, whether it's on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where, wherever it is. Uh, subscribe to us there. Share the podcast with other people who you think are interested in space. We really are trying to get out to not only the hardcore space nerds, because they're going to find us. They're going to find us. The It's the people that love space, but either didn't feel like they were smart enough to go do it, or they're just really interested and fascinated by space and the final frontier. We want you here. We want you a part of the podcast. Uh, so share to other friends that are like that, right? Um, I feel like one of the things we do here is help keep folks up to date on the latest of what's going on in space. And we obviously want to touch on a whole bunch of different things like we're going to touch on (laughs) here on this episode. Of course, there's always the way to uh, support the podcast is through uh, getting your free quote on your next project or ordering a great gift from our AG3D printing lab. Uh, If you have a project that you want to do. If you're trying to make a product, you're trying to 3D print something in real life, whether you're a student, a maker, a business entrepreneur, um, or just someone who's trying to make something to see if it's real. If if, if an idea you had, you know, writing down on a piece, on a napkin, and you want to bring that into reality, we are here for you. If you want to experiment, test out ideas, and literally hold them in your hands, that's what ag 3 d Printing is here for. So that's ag3d-printing.com. Go get a free quote from us there and then we'll reach out and tell you what's the best way that we can help you do that. Uh, you know, We have our friends, a Snapcaller, who we helped with their early ideas, and they are literally creating a real product, and their business is growing because they took the initial investment of, hey, we've got this idea. Let's learn as much as we can through budget-friendly 3D printing and prototyping, and we helped design, we helped print multiple different models until they found something that worked, and then... Uh, They were able to run off and actually spend more money and investment and time in the idea after they had done a few tweaks of it. That's what we're really good at here uh, with AG 3D printing. And then we also just have our designs and our gifts and our things that we've 3D printed over the years designs that, uh, whether they're fun, like if it's for your PS4, the stand holder for that, because you probably can't get a PS5 uh, or still looking for one and you're still trying to run that PS4, um, having A one of our stands, whether it's the the vertical stand or the horizontal stand, it gets your PS4 up and allows those fans to do more work than they're doing if it's just sitting there. And it looks cool too. Um, But there's plenty of other things there, including our James Webb Space Telescope Coaster. That's eg3dprinting.etsy.com. And that's where you can find all of our stuff there and help support the podcast. And of course, our sponsor, Manscaped, where you can get 20% off And free worldwide shipping by using the code word space and, you know, the performance package uh, is out there. The 4.0 lawnmower, the right tools for your family jewels. And just man grooming, right? Manscaping is something I do for my own mental health and my own wellness. I just did that before the podcast here. I actually was only going to just trim up the edges. And it actually was such an, I I had set up, it's a big thing. For, for guys to, to, to do this, okay? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let you know. If, if you're not a guy, or if you are a guy, you know that the whole process of this, nobody wants to do it, right? But you gotta, you gotta do it. Manscaped makes it so simple. I literally was like, I decided I wanted to manscape. I went downstairs, I grabbed my bundle. I've got my Lawn Mower 4.0. I've got my Weed Whacker in there. And brought it down, unfolded the newspaper, went to work. Trim myself up, Manscaped, and then took that piece of paper, dumped the hair out into the trash. I was done. That's how simple Manscaped makes it. And you can start today with you get the performance package or anything on the website. 20% off by using the code word space and you get free worldwide shipping. That's a great way to support the podcast. But now, back to the show. So... We are here. Let's talk about the Dart mission. So the Dart mission was the first interplanetary defense mission that NASA created uh, in order to see if we can use physics. Right? It's it's that old, uh, it's it's the classic math problem, the physics problem of you have one thing moving in one direction. This is the asteroid Dimorphos, and then you have a spacecraft with a certain amount of mass coming at it. And what we wanted, what they were trying to do, was change the orbit so that the DART mission would impact Dimorphos and slow that orbit down, and we would be able to observe that change over time. Now, when I think myself, like most people who are, who are watching this mission, uh, didn't even realize the scale of content that, and visualization and opportunities to see this thing happen in space from multiple different angles. I don't think we re- we all realized how great this mission was going to be, and, and it's, it's a real... It's it's just goes to show you that there are a lot of different programs that NASA does, and the planetary science program is uh, top notch. You know, I think they learned the lesson from the Voyager missions that you know having a camera on board, and that and it doesn't mean that every mission has. But we've seen a lot of great things, whether it's Cassini at Saturn, Juno now here at Jupiter. It just took uh, the closest flyby of Europa um, recently. So there's a lot of really exciting stuff, and this DART mission did not upset or disappoint. So we saw the video of the DART mission impacting Dimorphos. Very, very cool. That red uh, screen at the end where it impacts, it, it, uh, the red didn't look like it was like death or anything, but uh, it, was, it was final, finality is, is, is what it meant for me. And just confirmation of impact, and that thing was moving so fast. I think it's roughly 17,000 miles per hour um, that it was going into that asteroid. And the impact that we saw from the Leech Cube sat, which was a, a tiny Cube sat that was spring loaded and released out of the back of the spacecraft about 15 days, two weeks basically, before the impact. So it was able to take that same momentum and follow behind and do a flyby of dimorphos and watch the impact as it happened. And it's a really insane view. And uh, there was so much debris that happened. We even got to have a view from the Hubble Space Telescope and from James Webb Space Telescope to get an idea of the, the, the impact and what it did. And there was even, uh, another one, the Atlas project took a view of it as well, which was the first one that I saw even before the leecher cube video came out. Um, but so many really, really cool things. And the, and the leecher cube itself is a great story, right? Uh, Italy's space program. This is their first deep space mission. They were completely in charge of this. It's, it was a big day and they, are still potentially able to operate that CubeSat. You know, there's a chance that even though this was a flyby, if there's enough fuel on board and enough energy, they actually empower. They should try and make a second attempt and change the orbit to come back again to take a look at the asteroid impact after the fact. So uh, that's all of that's very, very exciting. And it's cool to see that... It, A mission like this is really important because we all have our ideas and our theories and our our hypotheses of what is going to happen. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting was, especially if you look at the NASA simulation of what they expected to happen, you see the DART impact dimorphose, and you can see that they're expecting this symmetric conical debris release From the impact, so the spacecraft comes in, hits the surface, and then the dust, like like a droplet of water, it's going to release like this ring of debris out from the side, and and from the research and the expectations that we all had going into what this was going to look like, you look at that animation and you say, oh yeah, all the debris goes out because there's no gravity; it just kind of floats out there into infinity. And what's fascinating is when you look at the images from the Leecher Cube. You can see that the debris is gathering in these like spindles or filaments, as they're called. And that, from a planetary science perspective, was new information and, in, and, and knowledge that we did not have before watching this mission and actually seeing what it's like in real life, not just theoretical, not just in the lab of what we think could happen by estimating and predicting. We actually saw what it looks like and what it does. And now we can learn more about reality. And so the question is, what forces are at play? What is causing this type of gathering of debris as it's basically being being shot out of wherever it was, you know, becoming projectiles? Why are these particles gathering like they are? And it was really interesting to follow this thread. Um, I'm going to pull that up right now and you guys can... Uh, follow along. We'll have this link in the descriptions. But it's a great example of one of my favorite things in science, which is learning something new that you didn't learn before. And when you observe it, you you say, "Oh, that's weird," or "That's interesting." And so this thread from Dr. Phil Metzger. Uh, you can follow him online if you aren't already at Dr. Phil Till. That's D-R-P-H-I-L-T-I-L-L. And he goes through this. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this, but I'll, I'll give his perspective uh, of this, and then we can talk about it here at the end. So he says at the beginning, I'm shocked by the streamers in the ejecta in ordinary granular splash experiments. We see nothing like this. A few musings about this in a thread. Physicists have done granular impact Uh, experiments where a steel ball for example is dropped into a sandbox here's an example you can see the impact ejecta is in the shape of a cone fairly uniform all the way around and then he provides a source of that that uh, research and he says here's another example from a paper in nature click to see full picture Uh, these studies these studied the rebound splash up the center line but you can see the initial splashes are cones, fairly uniform in density, all the way around. Streamers, like we see in the DART images, he says, which I find shocking, were first seen in the Hayabusa 2 impact, which we did an episode about. This was uh, JAXA's the Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency. And that actually brought back dust and debris from that asteroid in a capsule, and it returned to Earth. And we just got to see some... some Actual results of what's inside. Surprise! They found water, um, but this uh, was first seen in the Hayabusa two impact, and the image of the image of that impact is annotated in red in this picture to show the arrangement of streamers. So, in these cases, somehow the physics is causing the granular particles to form into lines as they flow out of the impact site. But how? He says, granular material is not like water. Water has high surface tension, which helps it form into jets. Cool structures can form around impact splashes, including streamers. And he references this journal here. But granular materials have nothing like the strong surface tension of water. Yes, there is cohesion between particles, but it is super weak compared to impact dynamics and should be unable to organize massively sized streamers. Another reference there. He says, one clue comes from looking at the moon. And the Tycho crater near the bottom of this picture has crater rays shooting out from it. See the lighter rays emanating from the crater? And we can see that here. You know, those were formed by streamers in the ejecta. Some went super long distances. And there have been a few recent papers motivated by the Hayabusa 2 imagery to explain the formation of streamers or patterns in the ejecta sheets. This is kadono uh, et al. Uh, that's 2022, Earth, Planets, and Space. Uh, there are three types of patterns that can form, including both streamers and meshes. So I will leave this up here for you to check out. But the general idea here is that we went into this thinking we would see a very evenly distributed cone of debris after the impact, and we did not see that. We saw something new and shocking that we still don't understand that once we do, we can learn more about the physics of the reality in the solar system. Because one of the things that we do know is that things, especially particles, like to gather in space. Whatever whatever that action is, they like to gather. And there seems to be something about that like there is here. My first thought here was... Maybe there's a an amount of static electricity, or just higher a uh, higher electron capacity because there's solar radiation. There's nothing to block it, so you're kind of just like charging the surface. And if there's distance between those particles for that energy to sit, I that that to me at a gut level seems like that makes sense. Kind of like you know we gather. Uh, static electricity from from moving around. Maybe that friction of everything trying to get together, there's a certain amount of charge that as these particles release, there's a certain amount of them that stay together in these spindles. That's an idea, again. I am just throwing an idea out there off of what right now makes sense to me. Um, And if the Hayabusa 2 asteroid, this is another point, if the Hayabusa 2 asteroid had water on it and we see that water can create these spindles then is it possible that this ejecta had a lot of water? And that's why those spindles are happening, because there's a level of H2O particles that's binding together the dust or or creating a similar scenario where that dust now becomes more of a fluid and has a lot of the same effects and characteristics that water would have as it has those droplets. So... I thought this was this dart mission was amazing and really cool to follow. I know it blew a lot of our minds. I got a lot of feedback from folks uh, sharing it out there how exciting it was. Uh, most people had no idea that it was happening, <laughs> but it was a really exciting uh, thing and, and I, I felt that from you guys. so uh, if you have any further questions about dart or any other questions, I'd love to uh, put them on a future podcast. One of them that came up that I do want to address because it is a good question. In the case that we're trying to defend the planet from an interplanetary impact, kind of the the movie scenario is nuke it. You know, just blow it up. Why not, if you have this big asteroid that is coming at you and you have these nuclear bombs, why not just use them? One thing is definitely, I don't think we know too much about how a nuclear bomb is going to work in the vacuum of space. Not 100% sure. And so taking that risk on the last chance to save humanity. I mean, if that's your only option, I mean, yeah, go for it. Um, But let's say you're successful. Let's say you successfully detonate that asteroid, especially in the case of Armageddon, right? (laughs) They cheer. They cheer when they blow up the asteroid in half. And and yes, they they saved Earth then. But that asteroid is going to come back. And uh, all that debris is going to come back with it. And then they're going to have an even harder time dealing with the the almost infinite amount of material that's going to be coming at them that could do damage across the whole planet. And that's, that's my answer to why you don't want to just nuke, just like toss a nuke at an asteroid. You really would have to think about what's going to happen after you hit it. Again, if you have no other choice, it just comes out that week. Yes, I agree. Send a free and nuke at that asteroid, and we'll deal with it later. I get that. Maybe Maybe that'll spur some progress in orbital debris detection and planetary defense missions. there's There's a valid point to that. But the beautiful thing about the Dart mission is that if we do understand where an asteroid is and if it becomes a potential threat to impacting the planet or the moon or any of our other planets in our solar system, if we can have a better idea of where this stuff is and if we catch it early, we can send a small spacecraft that's launchable today, like the DART mission, uh, which was launched on the Falcon nine. The, the physics means we only have to move it a tiny amount in order to change its final position. And that would reduce the, the potential of dealing with large debris that would happen. Clearly there's a lot more debris from something like this than even I would have expected. uh, And clearly all the planetary scientists expected. So it's a much cleaner, much more strategically placed nudge early on so that we don't need to just obliterate the crap out of it and create a giant asteroid belt that we have to go through uh, and deal with every time it comes back around. Right? So that's my thoughts on the DART mission. And again, send your questions in if you have any more about this type of stuff. Asteroid impacts and saving the world. It was a lot of fun to follow. So uh, go check that out and check out the thread on Twitter from Dr. Phil Metzger. Again, at Dr. Phil Till. And let's discuss TeslaBot. We're here September 30th, 2022. Elon Musk and the team at Tesla. Has successfully created a robot that can walk around on the stage, and is using the Tesla technology, the self-driving technology, to look around and observe everything around it, and make decisions depending on where they go. And to be completely honest, it was mind-blowing. It was, uh, you know, it was on the West Coast that they did this, so it's like nine fifteen. Uh, at night on a friday after a long work week and here i am watching elon musk and the team reveal like the what it it when i first saw it when they first did the reveal it felt like we were watching evolution in motion it really did it like i don't know if you guys you know i went to a engineering school so there were a lot of folks Uh, from a lot of different engineering backgrounds, and we would all show each other the crazy stuff that's in each other's field. You know, at that time, this is like 2008 to 2015, so like drone technology was getting really big. And of course, I was friends with a ton of robotics engineers, and they were all doing some of the pioneering stuff that we see today, you know, leading up to Boston Dynamics. And before Boston Dynamics, there was a lot of videos of robots doing tasks and going through things. And they were they were attached to tons of wires and power and, and everything else that you needed because the technology wasn't there to get it all into the one thing, right? Like the Tesla bot is right now and the Optimus model that they have uh, that's representative of what eventually they're going to sell as the first version of this. And Elon just dropped that, and again, take this with a grain of salt. maybe he spoke too soon, but their intention is to make this scalable, just like Tesla to use you know their their manufacturing mass manufacturing, making a ton of these and in order for this product to be profitable and and in their mind affect humanity in a really positive way to change uh how hard, difficult jobs are done and repetitive jobs, jobs that, that injure human beings, that's, this is the pie in the sky idea behind this, they want to sell this for $20,000, or, or, or maybe less than $20,000 per Tesla bot, and that number alone, I, I've still carried with me since the other night when I listened to it, and that's shocking, and watching it walk around was also shocking because having gone to school with all those robotics engineers, uh, you know, the cool thing about having an engineer in whatever field that uh, you're, you've are you got an idea about, right? So like space, a lot of people will talk about um, aliens and going to the moon and going to Mars and and, and stuff like that. Um, so I get a lot of those questions. A lot of the questions that a robotics friends would get is like, Or what would happen in like a Terminator scenario? Or if the robots were going to take over, do we have a shot? And there's always a lot of different answers for that. Uh, And I would say some of the smartest ones always are going to show you how difficult all of this really is. And so there's actually, especially back in the early internet days, there were a lot of like compilation videos of robots failing. and, 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 And failing to walk, right? Because what they were doing was setting up these scenarios and making the robot go through it and they would have to go through it perfectly but it was very it was very babysat it was it was there was a lot of tethering and wires um, and the paths had to be the same every time and i mean potentially if you started the robot off at the wrong angle at the wrong spot location uh, the rest of the program would be broken and the robot would fail and fall over and they said that this was the first time that that bot did this without any of that cabling and wires. And it was it was fascinating. The, the amount of joints and reactivity to whatever sensors it had to realize what its balance was, you could like see that the hands and the arms were trying to balance itself. And it was like watching a, a baby walk or, or, or something. It felt like it was learning. And I think that's one of the more shocking things about the Tesla bot thing is what are these Tesla bots going to be able to learn in the ultimate scheme of things? I don't think it's going to be uh, take over the world smart, um, but it's also not going to be a useless thing. And where it finds its niche is entirely dependent on how people approach the problem of teaching these robots the tasks that they need to do, and then choosing a task that's going to replace uh, human beings and, and yes, bring more profit to the company, um, but also make these tasks that are necessary, um, the dirty jobs, if you will, uh, or the hard jobs, the harsh uh, environment jobs, uh, potentially even areas where human beings would die from being in, in there and exposed to those things, I can think powder environments, um, like if you're, you're printing metal powders or plastic powders or places where you'd get that in your lungs, um, fires and and all these other things that you could send a Tesla bot into if they were prepared and trained for it. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of wild stuff that this, this could help open up and prepare us for. Uh, and from a space perspective, thinking about bringing a Tesla bot with you, kind of like the interstellar scenario where they had those robots um, with them and those AI, thinking about what you could do with a trained Tesla bot is fascinating. And it's also really great news for software engineers because what this means to me from working in technology and knowing the realities of software and firmware and hardware uh, combining all together is you're going to need someone to program that, especially if you're going to, teach it the right thing you need a software programmer and that software programmer is going to be there with that tesla bot to to eventually write a code so that there isn't human event intervention needed but if you're going to fine-tune that process and get it there there's first that initial investment of teaching it the thing you need it to learn and then there's the optimization aspect of that and dialing in all of these things and improving them over time. As the, as the needs change, the robot training will change. So if you're into coding and you're into software design and, and technology, there is a huge, huge opportunity that's going to be starting here. And I am fascinated by it. I'm terrified by it. Um, but my terror is met with the want and the drive to learn more about it so that it does not become magic to me um you know having a, a, a semi understanding of what they're doing is fascinating and, and the engineers did a great uh project it's it's fascinating to see that they've designed it to be effective in many different ways and i mean in strength right the servos that they're using, they're designing them so that the servos don't have to overextend themselves, designing them in a way that they will use a little bit of power, right? So being effective on the power use of things, but then they're also not going to travel that much and having the right joints that are based off of human biology and making them into robotic technology. It's fascinating. It really is. And I don't know enough about robotics to really know the full effect. I have enough understanding to know that it it could be a big game changer. I am concerned existentially about what this means for the people that these Tesla bots uh, replace as far as the workforce. Because paying once $20,000 is much cheaper than paying a human being the same if not more for the same job but having to do that every single year and then having to find new people when those people leave there is a there is an aspect of this in business life and the workforce that I'm definitely concerned about and and the potential of us what we do what do we do in place of that um, are more jobs that people actually want to do going to open up? I mean, it hasn't happened now. So I, and I don't see any evidence of that happening anytime soon, but it's concerning. It's definitely concerning. Um, which brings me to my last point about the Tesla bot, which is the really fascinating thing that Elon touched on. And he mentioned it a few times. And I, I do agree that it is, it is the better scenario for Tesla which is that it's structured in such a way that because it's a pri- because it's a publicly traded company and the people who buy stock in Tesla have voting rights as to the direction of Tesla that means that people who own stock in Tesla this is not financial advice I'm not telling you to go buy Tesla stock I do have to say that I do own Tesla stock I have owned it for a while Um, But that was mostly because that was the only way that I could help uh, invest in Elon Musk. Um, But again, this is not financial advice. This is just me discussing the topic. Um, And and the rights that someone who owns stock means that you can vote. And he mentioned this, that if Tesla and these Tesla bots, if the way that they're designing them and using them and, and trying to push forward things is not to the liking of the people, then the voters, the stock owners, can vote to change that or to stop what it's doing. So that's a very interesting thing. Uh, I, I do think this is now an arms race, though, of bots. So Tesla bots, the first one, this engineering team that, that created this in a matter of months. I mean, the amount of... Between last year and this Tesla AI Day, they've done all of the development for this. The last time it was someone in a in a suit apparently according to Elon. And this is the real thing. So there's a lot of progress that's happened very very quickly and a lot of that is due to the the way that they approach this, the fundamental primary assumptions they were making and the goals of making Tesla bot, which they defined really really well in this presentation. But um I can only imagine what is going to happen from different companies who have been working on this probably for a while. There's Boston Dynamics, right? Uh, definitely has a different feel than a Tesla bot. But then there's going to be bots around the country from different countries, from different origins and thought processes to think about what it means to have a robot, uh, a, a mechanical android, that's worth... At MSRP, like, it cost $20,000. That's cheaper than a car. Um, and essentially it becomes cheaper than a human. In all the needs the human need. Like, there is, there is a lot of questions to be discussed and I would love to discuss them here on the podcast. So, if you have any existential worries about Tesla Bot or AI or any futuristic things like this, please let us know at Today in Space Podcast. Follow us at Today in Space Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we are at Today in Space on TikTok. And of course, our YouTube page, Today in Space. Subscribe, hit that bell so that you get a notification every time we have a video. We're doing a lot of shorts and putting out clips. So you don't necessarily have to watch the whole episode. You can just pick and choose the parts of the episode that you'd like to hear. So uh, that's it. As always, you know, you can subscribe, uh, like. Those are great ways to share. Uh, those are free ways you can help support the podcast. And then there's our 3D printing lab, ag3d-printing.com to get a quote, a free quote on your next project for 3D printing. Uh, there's also ag3dprinting.etsy.com. You can help support the podcast, get a gift for your friend or yourself. Uh, or someone for their birthday, the holidays are coming up, Uh, get something cool and unique. And then there is uh, our sponsor, Manscaped, uh, where you can get 20% off and free worldwide shipping by using the code word SPACE and, uh, you know, the performance package uh, is out there, the 4.0 Lawn Mower, all the right tools for your family jewels and just man grooming, right? Right. Manscaping is something I do for my own mental health and my own wellness. Um, I just did that before the podcast here. I actually was only going to just trim up the edges, and I, it actually was such an e- I, had, I had set up. It, it's a big thing for for guys to, to to do this. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let you know. If if you're not a guy, um, or if you are a guy, you know that the whole process of this. Uh, if you it, nobody wants to do it, right? But you gotta you gotta do it. Manscaped makes it so simple. I literally was like, I decided I wanted to manscape. I went downstairs. I grabbed my bundle. I've got my Lawn Mower 4.0. I've got my Weed whacker in there and brought it down, unfolded the newspaper, went to work, trimmed myself up, manscaped, and then took that piece of paper, dumped the hair out into the trash. I was done. That's how simple manscaping makes it. And you can start today, with you get the performance package or anything on the website, 20% off by using the code word space, and you get free worldwide shipping. That's a great way to support the podcast. Uh, and if uh, you know of anyone who's looking to advertise on the podcast or any kind of partnership that you'd like to see us get here on the podcast, please let us know at todayinspacepodcast at gmail.com or hitting us up on any of our places on social media, including our Facebook page at today in Space podcast that's it from me we'll close out this episode with a another segment of our space walk and talk have a good one spread love and spread science and have a great week we'll see you next time for another episode of today in space see ya all right everybody another space walk and talk just a brief segment where i forced myself to be good to myself (laughs) get out and be physical because I do so much computer work and I figured, you know, this is the place where I have a ton of ideas for the podcast, it just makes a lot of sense, put myself on notice, make it real, so this podcast is done for me, so, you know, saying that it's going to be another way for me to make content might just trick my brain into doing it, so that's where we are, here in a spacewalk and talk. I think this is number four. Last, last time we did this was uh, in Florida for the Artemis 1 mission. But what I wanted to talk about was this idea of, you know, recently I've been going through another growth period, I'd say. And I'm really happy with why, where I am with the podcast. And I find myself after going to Florida, getting COVID for basically a week, and then trying to recover and come back from that, get back into my groove. <clears throat> there's this. There's this feeling that I get. I guess you could call it anxiety. I guess you could call it being a workaholic, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But there's this feeling, and I think a lot of people relate to it, of like. I need to get these things done and then that spirals into I'm not good enough or there's there's not enough time I'm too busy excuses, excuses, excuses and that's actually something that I was working on kind of throughout this whole podcast fighting the perfectionism or lazy perfectionism as I was calling it as I call it now. And uh, what I noticed, well, what you you learn as you get a little bit older, if you're college years, maybe younger, maybe you're just getting into the workforce, it takes a while for you to realize that you have these things that are baked in, there's some things that are just a part of you, and there are some things that you can work on and change. You know, I definitely focused on some time, focused some time on on making the areas that I felt I was lacking better. But the thing that really gave me the most progress was really leaning into what I'm good at, communicating, sharing my excitement for things, Um, you know, working with people and not just hardware, which I'm also good at, but like I, I i'm never going to be the smartest person in the room that's that's not my legacy that's not what i'm good at what i'm good at is being the most communicative person in the room the person who can get the really hardcore engineer highly technical to speak with the sales guy to speak with a leader who's focused on more big picture things i'm really good at that combination, that cross section, and making that bridge for people. The whole reason I bring this up is because one of the things that's kind of baked in for me is this anxiety. And if I, if I went about it, as in I want to get rid of it completely, which is what I did for a little while, it never does. And you feel like you're, if you go about it with that, incentive that I'm going to get rid of it. You might get good at it. You know, I've got I've had many, many periods. If you follow this podcast, you've probably heard me talk about using a notebook and trying a timer and all these different things. And like those things are great. But it's, it's not that a single session or a single time that I try and get better at anxiety that I'm going to win it. It's it's not that at all. It's the attrition, the constant going back to say, all right, I fell out of the groove. Now it's time for me to get back to the basics, to get disciplined again, and to go through those motions, to fight through it again. So recently, what this one was, was just a a feeling of like, not being good enough, not having enough time to do things. And I, for the first time, really, In in a reset, I caught myself knowing what that feeling was and immediately going, all right, I have to go do now. I have to fight this back by just doing it. And like what it would do is it would make me overthink and then I couldn't get anything done. And that would in turn make it so that I felt like I did some things but didn't do anything It's focusing on the wrong stuff and what I ended up doing was just saying alright breaking down the list just saying okay I'm, I'm going to write down these five things I'm going to go after those give myself some momentum they, they were probably not the thing that I wanted to do right? It was probably a lot smaller goals that lead up to that next thing. What I found was a lot of that anxiety was just my head knowing that all those other things needed to happen before I had to do the big thing. So that big task, let's just call it making a podcast, right? That big task was so big that I was getting anxiety about all the things I had to do. So instead of tackling the little things that need to happen, that are required for the big thing to happen, getting the studio ready, making sure that i mind mapped by notes, making sure that the cameras are all set, making sure the audio levels are correct. Like all of those little things are what make it possible for me to do the big thing and just jump in and do it. So. What I was proud of myself was for, really, what I considered the first time, is recognizing that feeling. And all that I did was went back to basics. All that I said was, okay, I know what that feeling is. Write down the list, do those five things, and move on to the next day. And, and then I will get closer. And then I can say, oh wait, you know what? This thing I, I had to do, or I felt like I had to do, right? Even, even the language that I'm using, right? It's, it's definite. It's, And in reality, it's just about making sure that you do it. And so what I I did, this a lot in school where it was like, I would not be able to finish a task because it felt too heavy. It had too much metaphorical weight to it. So what I would do is not do it. It wasn't perfect. That, That meant I couldn't do it. So, Um, chipping away at the weight of that is I I feel pretty important and it helps decrease the anxiety and I, I feel like there's a lot of that you know you think about being an astronaut and all the things that you have to train for and prepare for leading up to it I would assume that someone who's a really trained astronaut, and again, we're talking NASA, we're talking the European Space Agency, the people that are doing trips on the International Space Station right now, I would consider them professional astronauts. Those folks prepare for almost every single scenario. So when they run into something, it's less about the anxiety of the unknown and more about, all right, what's our step? Let's get into it, let's get down to business down to the details and just do what we need to do because there is a big thing that we need to do to save our lives make sure that <laughs> we don't die and they go after it so I feel like I I like looking up to the astronauts in that sense because even though you would think that a mission would be very terrifying they've gone through it they've gone through the emotion so I uh, I find it really really interesting to compare the life of a professional astronaut with just what it's like being a regular person and dealing with human emotions and all the things that come along with it. Obviously for me, mine is colored anxious. <laughs> um, but it's not about trying to change who you are and more about changing how you approach it. That's my thought. What do you think? Do you guys ever go through that kind of thing? Um, do you find yourself catching yourself? or you are still in the beginning of this journey or you're still trying to figure out what's going on? I find a lot of folks who are in there, you know 16 to 28, I would say. Those years are just crazy. There's so much going on in your life. You're dealing with there's so many expectations and timelines and things that we think we have to do. And even if you achieve those things, so many people don't feel like it's the right path or I did something wrong. Believe me, I was definitely a part of that. But I think... when you go through that trial and you get to the other side of it you kind of realize like oh it's not if you can find a way to take charge of that and make it your own and catch yourself if you're trying to appease somebody else or do the plan that somebody else thought then you find yourself feeling stuck somewhere um I guess you could argue my path, you know, not graduating on time, taking a longer time, really struggling to find a place in the aerospace industry. And yet, I am now here talking to you on a space podcast. And I've been able to visit some of the greatest places uh, that NASA has, like APL in Maryland and Kennedy Space Center going inside the vehicle assembly building getting tours of the pads seeing rocket launches I mean this is literally this is the path that I wanted I didn't know that nobody had that path written out and I still don't necessarily have a path written out it's just about building on the next thing um and not having that mindset of well, this is how it was supposed to happen. If uh, I would never be here if if I needed a roadmap to get to this podcast, it didn't exist. And it still doesn't exist. (laughs) So I have found myself being a lot happier, being in charge of where I want to be in my life. And what brings me happiness and strength and allows me to come at things from love and not hate or anxiety or, a mindset of there's not enough room for the both of us there's plenty of room for all of us and uh i think it's kind of beautiful and i hope i wish you find your thing whatever it is it doesn't have to be space it doesn't have to be science it could be anything i hope you find that but that's it folks be good have a good one that's spacewalk and talk